Welcome to Unlikely Intersection, where intent, impact, and inquiry inspire our conversations. I'm with Dr. Philip Brown. How are you, Dr. Brown? Doing great. And I am Dr. Terry Jackson, and we are at the intersection. What's interesting is that we all experience many intersections daily. We experience intersections at work, at home, at church, and at play. How we handle those intersections will determine the trajectory of our day and our life. We have a very interesting conversation uh, for you today, one that I'm sure that will resonate with all of you. And Dr. Brown? Hey, change leadership. Who doesn't need it right now? We all need it. We've just been through the greatest change uh, in the in the modern history of medicine, right? COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, we're still in it, and we're still understanding the changes that have been set up by that. But I want to start out with a story of what we did as a health system uh, to address some change. If mm -hmm. you remember, there was a lot going on when the pandemic started, and it was a time of recognition across the country because everybody was seeing some things they weren't comfortable with, George Floyd being the mm -hmm. front and center mm -hmm. uh, at that particular time. But fast forward into the COVID pandemic when the vaccination became available. Mm -hmm. And we were so excited and so relieved because it was a, it was a life-saving thing. Make no mistake about mm -hmm. it. Vaccination has saved no telling how many lives worldwide in our country and community is no no, no uh, uh, exception. But the most horrifying thing happened when we first looked at what was happening with vaccination in our community because we looked, and even though we knew that the patients who were most profoundly affected uh, by COVID-19 tended to be communities of color, mm -hmm. when we looked at our vaccination, we had almost none of those vaccines being distributed to communities of color. Mm -hmm. And so we had to change. And we had to change fast. And the, the stakes of that game were life or death. Yes. And that's where we really went outside the box, right? Because we said we, as the only health system in this community, don't know exactly how we have to do this. And so we listened. We got great community partners. We trusted our team members to get out there and do things differently. We did vaccinations in churches. We did vaccinations in a movie theater. We went out into specific communities that we knew were underserved with a goal. We said, hey, it's not good enough just to make a dent in this. What does it take to really deliver these vaccinations equitably across the whole community? And ultimately, we did that. We were mm -hmm. able to demonstrate that we did that. And what we can show is how many lives were saved. Mm -hmm. And for us, those were, those were the real powerful lessons of change leadership, right? Is that the way we had always done it, the way we had thought about people accessing us was just not going to work that time. So how do we adapt so people didn't die? Yeah, absolutely. And I can attest to that because I remember talking to you and I said, hey, my mother needs vaccination. And you said, hey, come over to Mount Olive Church and we can get you and your mother uh, vaccinated. So I can attest to that, uh, how that program was different and it allowed a lot of people who wouldn't have had access the ability to uh, receive the vaccination. And that's what change leadership is, right? There are multiple stories around change leadership. I can think of Deion Sanders down in Jackson, Mississippi, and reading stories, because he's been there now for about three years. And now he's transformed the entire area of Jackson, Mississippi. And administrators, uh, faculty, 
and everyone down there has bought into that story. And, you know, he understood what it meant to communicate well, to create a vision and take that vision of I believe into the institution and now everybody is following him. And it's they're undefeated. What more can you say? Yeah, it reminds me. You know, the quote is is so great. It's, it's an old quote. It's by Leo Tolstoy, and he says, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Absolutely. And they need that leadership sometimes, right, to make them believe that it's actually possible, right? Maybe first to believe that it's necessary. That's right. But then to believe it's possible. That's right. That's right. And, you know, there's another story. I think I shared with you some time ago around T-Mobile and change leadership. The CEO decided that he wanted to take the organization in a different direction. So what he began to do is study what he needed to do in order to cause the transformation on the organization and to see that for every, all of his employees to see that he was serious, he made a personal transformation. He went from a clean cut, three-piece suit and tie to now wearing warm-ups, growing a long beard, and letting his hair grow as a hippie. And with that, they began to impact the cellular industry by saying, you don't need a contract to do business with us any longer. So they eliminated contracts. If you take a study of T-Mobile and their revenue over a period of seven years during that transformational process, they more than tripled their revenue. And, but first he had to do is transform the minds of the people. He had to show them the vision of what this transformation would look like. And so he became the personal example of that. Walking the talk, right? Like Absolutely. walking the talk. <laughs> Absolutely. And fearlessly, right? Because yes. fear is always yes. a huge obstacle when we talk about change. That takes lots of different forms, right? Like fear is I'm, I'm scared that it won't be okay for me in my particular position in whatever the change is, or I'm scared of whatever it is, lots of different sources of fear. Uh, maybe I won't be as good as I was, you know, when we were doing it the other way. That's right. Right. That's right. So That's overcoming right. that fear, uh, sometimes again, a role of leadership, right. For, to help people believe, to help fortify the courage just enough to get them over the hump. That's right. And, and so, when you talk about change management as it, it, it is versus change leadership, there's huge differences between change management. What I'm finding is more people within our society prefer change management than change leadership. Why do you think that's the case? I think because not as much change is required. <laughs> that's <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, what you get is, you know, you get, uh, you get change within a finite box, right? But leadership has never really been about limitations, mm -hmm. right? When you talk about leadership, I like to think of it, and actually I made a note here that I want to get right. Leadership is, is about inventing something radically new in concert with those who are actually going to implement it. So it's actually a process of co-creation, right? You're yes. listening to what is in the ground so that you can do something just radically new. That cannot be done by formulas and steps and checklists. That's right. It just cannot be done. Uh, you, you, can, you can make progress with formulas and checklists and, and stepwise progression, but 
But the kind of change that we're looking at, that mm-hmm. we've just been through with COVID, the the folks that most successfully navigated navigated it, they weren't doing that, right? Like That's they right. just said, what do we have to do and what's possible? How close can we get to the ideal? Zoom comes to mind. Yep, absolutely. It You know, it ties into critical thinking, right? critical thinking and critical questions to find out how can we do something totally different because the times are different. The dynamics in the marketplace are different. So how do I inspire these people with a vision that is compelling and empower them to move to new heights? I kind of see change management as more of the status quo. We're going to make some changes within this box, but we're not going to go outside of this box where leadership is, as you said, There is no box. What we're going to do is what's best for the organization. And we might use some tools of change management, but the vision and the processes of what's going to to, um, make the difference. When I did a little bit of looking up about change management, I was looking at change leadership and change management. I said, hmm, interesting. Change leadership is like the engine of a train. Change management is like the caboose. (laughs) <laughs> because when I look at change leadership, it's about the driving force of what the engine is. And that's what leadership is. Leadership is the driving force of the organization. It's supposed to be. And with management, and all they do is do the they do things right, basically, what a manager does. It's the caboose. It's re it's reactive versus change leadership being proactive. Such a, you know, and it, and it's important. We don't mean to imply that management's not important, <laughs> right? Right, like, right, right. You, but it, the leadership piece is is making sure that you're doing the right work. And in times of rapid change, that can be sloppy and mean a lot of different That's things. Right. And That's then right. there certainly becomes a role for management to establish processes that are proven over time and, and all that. So it, the two are not mutually exclusive, Um but it's just really difficult to totally manage yourself out of this dramatic change. And it kind of reminds me of, of our mentors. I think it's his, his book, right? What got you here won't get you there. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and that, that's a second by second analysis of what you're doing. What got you here won't get you there. Right. And so that's timeless. You know, as I think about, this whole behemoth we call Amazon, remembering how he started in the garage, just wanting to sell, resell books to what it's become today. I don't think Amazon would have ever become what it is today under the limitations of change management. It took a great deal of change leadership to create the entity that we know as Amazon today with all that it's in. And basically, when you look at Amazon, it has the United States Postal Service working for it, it has UPS working for it, and it has FedEx working for it because they all deliver Amazon packages. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get them in your mailbox. That's right. You get them on your front door. (laughs) That's right. The point is you get them, right? And you get them in a fast way that's never been how things were before. The very definition of transformation. And the cool thing, I think, you know, I like to sometimes talk about there are some individual components that we probably Mm -hmm. ought to address, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you talk about a big change initiative, 
And I mean, I've been in the middle of one at work mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the health system integration, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. multi-year process, putting all these systems together, but it's really about people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, one of the first things that really often has to happen is you got to unburden yourself from what was there before. Right. Yes. Like basically unhitch yourself from patterns of thinking that no longer apply. So, you know, I know you do a lot of coaching and help people just meet that reality of, hey, this doesn't apply anymore. We have a new reality. Absolutely. And I love that phrase of new reality. I I even think about that as it relates to the pandemic, you know, because people were saying, what's the new normal? I was like, no, this is a new reality. And that reality is constantly changing. I'm glad you said it's about people, right? Because it's about how people think. It's about how people act. But in order for people to think and act differently, they have to be inspired to do so, right? And they have to be empowered to do so, right? It's about the leader creating that compelling vision, showing them the way of how it's going to be done, and then empower them to go in to do the work themselves. That's one of the major differences between change management and change leadership. And it also is about mobilizing resources, right? People or resources, but other resources that are utilized in this whole transformative process. Because even though we're talking change leadership, it is really transformation because it's totally different than trying to manage what already exists. We're talking about creating something new. Yeah, and it's, it's that whole piece in my mind of, you know, a, a, a job description that you've had in the past or mm-hmm. some past experience is only a life sentence if you make it that. That's right. Right. That's and right. a lot of times, I mean, we all have our little boxes. In fact, I think we've done another episode on self-limiting beliefs, which this is kind of connected to. Mm-hmm. We put our own rules in place sometimes that are, that are profoundly uh, tethering to the past. And until we can kind of say, hey, this is not a life sentence, right? Like, the lane I was running in, you know, last year in this particular job, and now maybe my company's been acquired by a bigger company Mm -hmm. or we've merged companies or who knows, maybe I just changed jobs. I don't, you know, that lane is now, it can be wide open if I let it be, right? right. Like, I just have to convince myself that, those rules that I had put in place for myself don't have to apply all the time. Now I may need, might need help to become effective. Right. I might need a leader who can help me find a new path. Um, you know, or I might just need that personal board of directors to help me yes. refine that, right. that career idea, That's you know, right. but right. I can change as soon as I realize that I'm not under a life sentence for what I thought limited me. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I've always said that people can change in any given moment, at any given time. It doesn't take, well, I need five or six months to be able to work this through. And No, you can change instantly if you really want to change given the inspiration behind the change. You know, and that takes me to a question. What are the driving forces behind change leadership uh, specifically for our community here as we would like to have an impact and uh, 
on it? Well, I think there's no substitute for a crystal clear vision. Mm. That vision has got to be brought out into reality. But a lot of people get vision wrong, right? They think of a visionary leader. Mm -hmm. They think maybe that visionary leader just made this up mm -hmm. in her own head or his own head, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, that's not it. Most of the time, they were engaged with people mm -hmm. that were a part of the whole process that they hoped to see change in. Mm -hmm. And they listened in a much different way. And in that listening exercise, they heard mm -hmm. possibility. Mm-hmm. And they, with, within that interchange with that group of people, those people began to hear possibility. Mm -hmm. And then together through that, that co-creation process, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, something new becomes possible. And, and then that visionary leader a lot of times is, is almost less creator and more evangelist yes, of absolutely. something that's been co-created. Yeah, and right. then, you know, you get the right charismatic spin on what's possible. And all of a sudden it seems like there's just a force of nature out there that's changed everything. And now we're going in a positive that's direction. Right. Cause see, everything is always about what the possibilities are, right? Oftentimes we want to think, well, we can't do this or the worst phrase we like we, we we don't want to hear in, in in a culture in an organization is we've always done it this way so we're going to mm. continue to do it this way right and so that helps change management as well as change leadership initiatives fail right and when you look at the possibilities you begin to not think about as i've heard 72% of all change initiatives fail you begin to look at the 28% that succeed and when you can begin to look at the 28 percent that succeed and you find the possibilities in those initiatives then you begin to say we can do this as well if they can do it we can do it but here's what we have to do so the evangelist pops up you know stands up on his uh his podium and talks about where the organization is going and why and makes everybody a part of that vision isn't it amazing that process of being stuck right there, right? Mm -hmm. Because you think about the talent that we're surrounded by now. Like in, in my organization is a, is a perfect example. I mean, they're incredibly talented individuals everywhere you look, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the people that are on my teams are much smarter, brighter, know what mm -hmm. they're doing a lot more than I do. So mm -hmm. it's like with this team – we should be able to be successful, mm -hmm. but sometimes we get stuck because we're not able to see up above it, right? Like that that skeptical nature yes. gets mm -hmm. in our way so much. How do we, you know, how do we navigate that, right? We come to the we come to the point where we gotta take a leap. We gotta take a leap of faith, right? How do we get enough people to take that leap? That's an interesting question, and it's a the $66 million question, right? How do we get people to take a leap who don't want to take the leap? You know, sometimes it's by force, and other times <clears throat> you, you've used this phrase and I've used this phrase, and that is we have to make the horse thirsty. Mm -hmm. The horse won't, won't drink unless it's thirsty. So... As a leader, 
as a manager, understanding what motivates our people, what inspires our people. If we can understand that, then we can speak to them in such a way that they become inspired, or more importantly, they become thirsty. And they want to take the leap. That's why the evangelist, right? There is a lot of evangelism in this. Every day, all day, they're hearing something about the positivity of the initiative we're getting ready to undertake and the why, the positive impact that it will have on them. And so they become thirsty and they want to go, you know, jump off the edge, jump off the edge, right? And you're constantly communicating because when you constantly communicate with someone, they fully understand where they stand with you and where they stand within the organization. So communication, you have to have a clear, concise communications um, process in place to ensure that everyone understands and you make them thirsty. Well, this kind of goes back to, to Dion, right? Like yeah, absolutely. He has, got some, he has got some believers now down in Jackson. They are some thirsty, thirsty players. Yes. They're hungry for that success. They're tasting that success. Yes. And with that taste in the mouth, that changes things too. I think it's been since 1983 is the last time that Jackson State was undefeated at this point in time. And as I saw some of the footage of their last uh, game, which was homecoming for them, I'm seeing all of these stars who are interested in going down and, and taking a look at what Jackson State is doing. And that's not only positive for the community, it's positive for the school because some of those will become followers, will become donators, right? Will help him achieve his goals and open more doors that he can't open. And so guess what? That whole vision of I believe he sold it to everybody. The players are thirsty. The administration are thirsty. Uh, the professors are thirsty. And I just read an article where they said everybody has bought into the movement. Now they're calling it a movement, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like how many people does it take to start a movement? That's and right. he's definitely passed that critical mass, right? Like, And there's, there's leadership science and management science behind all this. It's been written about for years and years, yet it so often comes down to that difference between theory and practice, the Absolutely. difference between strategy and execution. It doesn't matter how good your plan is. Mm -hmm. Executing on it is what counts. And, you know, that those differences, I can reflect on Eddie George, who was a very good running back in the, in the NFL. He played at Ohio State, excellent running back. And he's a head coach at Tennessee State. Well, he played in the NFL, too. Very good. Then you compare and contrast him to Deion Sanders, of course, who was very good in the NFL, was a very good baseball player. But there's, there are differences because the Tennessee State program hasn't taken off like the Jackson State program. The Tennessee State program, if you didn't know Eddie George was there, you wouldn't know. There's some major differences the evangelist that Deion Sanders is and getting everybody involved in the process and everybody to know who Jackson State is from social media, which he's out there on a daily basis, to being on television, 60 Minutes. But Eddie George was a very good player too. He hasn't been the evangelist and has the clear vision of I believe at Tennessee State. As a matter of fact, they played each other this year. And Jackson State, of course, defeated Tennessee State. 
but there's some major differences there, and you can see them. So there are many NFL players who become coaches, but there's only one that's really created that clear vision of what should be and getting everybody to believe to create the movement like Dion has created at Jackson State. Yeah, that movement. He's got the – you know, what's amazing is his volunteer army, yes. right? Like, you know, <laughs> he, and, and that's what it takes a lot of times. We talk about it, uh, you know, in, in a healthcare context all the time, right, is a volunteer army of folks helping us spread the word, helping us engage community, helping us understand things. And, man, he has done that on steroids with his program because he's created the chatter. He's spread it. You know, his his guiding coalition, no telling what it's numbered in now. And that translates to all kinds of success. It translates to success in players' minds because they're hearing positive things about their program or they're hearing positive things about a program that now they want to become a part of if they're in high school, right? So it's changed the recruiting paradigm. He's brought financial resources into yes. there and changed the facilities. And it's really just beginning. And not only that, we can continue to talk about Jackson State, but he's, seen, he's impacted the entire landscape of historically black colleges and universities. He'd raise the level. We can look at ESPN on Saturdays, and we're seeing more and more HBCUs playing on ESPN2 or ESPN3, getting more coverage, which means more money to the universities. So his impact has been global as it relates, and more importantly, he's impacting parents who now want their children to go play for him because he's seen as an old-school coach who believes in education and principles and integrity and morality at the same time, not just a high-flying uh, NFL player who uh, got into a lot of mischief off the field because if you follow Dion, he's never had those really real kinds of issues off the field. Yeah, super flashy guy, obviously an incredible talent, but what we're seeing now is that, that those waters, uh, those, that runs deep. And yep. that transformational ability is is unique. I mean, there, there's not That's another right. person in sports right now, in my opinion. And granted, we'd love to have him on a, on here as a guest exactly. one day to, to talk about how you actually do it. <laughs> but the truth of it is, who is doing more transformative things, right? Because he's changing by changing the landscape in the HBCU environment for sports he's changing the landscape in everything he's driving different careers he's driving people to seek a, an education that they might not otherwise seek which once their playing days are over that's fundamentally different he's helping create healthy environments spaces where folks can can be together and and have a thriving learning environment in addition to their competitive interests, right, and carry some of that competitive flash into the classroom and no telling, you know, what the future holds for a lot of these new grads. Absolutely. You know, a phrase that comes to mind is this, he understands the moment. I remember uh, living in Atlanta, 1986, 87, when Dion was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, and he told a story of, how he became prime. 
His mother worked two jobs. She cleaned up at the hospital and worked another job. And he wanted to create this character called Primetime that would enable him to perform as an athlete and to end his mother working two jobs by making it to the, to, to the professional level, which he did. But one thing that I loved about him, he didn't get caught up in prime time, the player. He understood who Deion Sanders was. So he understood the moment. And as he's morphed throughout his career as a defensive back, uh, playing with the Braves, playing with the Yankees, playing, I think, with the Reds, if I'm not mistaken, he understood the moment, went back and got his degree, and then once he got his degree, wanted to get into coaching, and now we see exactly why. And people are loving him uh, for the principles that he is standing for with all of his players. I've seen some of the footage, and he's truly a disciplinarian. It's going to be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And he himself, I heard on the 60 Minutes interview, you know, he, at some point there's going to come another offer. And that'll be – it'll be fascinating to see what's happened because that's one of the things that, that happens in this transformative process too. It definitely opens up other opportunities. And that brings up that change leadership piece, one of the classic leadership skills. So – if he goes to a different place, it doesn't have to be the end of what's at Jackson State if That's he's right. got succession planning in place. That's absolutely correct. And I saw that 60 Minutes piece, and what resonated with me more than anything was that he wanted to his assistant coaches to be able to have a financial reward that would change their lives. He said, so if I go to a bigger school, it's because – I want my guys to be paid. They'd make $125,000 a year now as assistant coaches. Whereas major schools, they might be they might make half million a year, you know? And so he wants to impact the lives. Everything I've heard him talk about basically has been about the impact that he can have on another life. And that sounded to me like unlikely intersections because we talk about impact and intent, right? And that's what he's living in. Yeah, the, the beauty of the loyalty piece of that, right? And – Again, it's another understanding the moment thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he has been wildly prosperous personally based on incredible athletic talent married with business brilliance, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he just gets it. He understands. He knows how to market himself, market mm-hmm. things that he's mm-hmm. a part of. Mm-hmm. Um but it's much deeper than that, right? It is how do I also take care of other folks yes. that are a part of what I am? And how do I make a – I mean, what he's making right now is a dent in the universe, right, right. in, the, in right. the world of HBCU sports. Uh, and so, to me, that's just powerful. And we need more of it from yes. more different sectors. Yes, and, and to speak more locally, we need a lot of it here. And I think the conversations are beginning to to happen here. But we have to understand the real – we have to get the real players to understand what that should look like without having any fear of what they may lose. But then again, when you're talking about change leadership, it could be the rising of someone else from uh, another position who leads – change leadership from a different perspective 
regardless of what the status quo is in Wilmington? Well, the truth is the abundance thinking piece is critical, right? Yes. This is not a fixed pie. Somebody else doing better doesn't mean I'm going to do worse. That's right. And we have large sectors that are left behind. We still have a tale of two cities here. But I'm incredibly encouraged by some of the different signs that I see. I think we need to continue to bring it into conversation to breathe life into what the future can be, right? Mm-hmm. It's a process of mm-hmm. future-based language. And, you know, I'm struck by certain things happening, you know, that are are almost incubators mm-hmm. for change, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the D.C. Virgo UNCW Lab School partnership comes to mind, right? The growth in those kids mm-hmm. uh, over the course of that time is is truly remarkable mm-hmm. for the kids but let's think about what comes next mm-hmm. right like what does that become in its soon to be second iteration right in its second five years so now it's built that's what it is and and it's going to go on again you know and and go to the next level and there's so many things that are positive about what that can become because we have an opportunity in this community based on lots of different factors. The large New Hanover Community Endowment is one of them. We yes. need to have an episode on that sometime. Yes. But the opportunity to change the landscape of professionalism in this community, to have true inclusion, right, where school teachers look like the students they serve, where medical professionals begin to resemble the communities they serve and all these things that come together to make that possible, the new reality can be something that we almost can't even conceive of. You know, what I just heard from you was a, was a vision, right? A vision of how we lead change in this community and how we make the people thirsty in order to begin to implement. And, and there are initiatives that are happening that, that are positive and that are looking, looking like they will be able to sustain themselves. You know, this whole next version of what this change leadership things, we have to deal with the schools, of course, and have the kids educated, but what we also have to do is be able to create entrepreneurs or recruit organizations that will come here, that will pay living wages, uh, that will allow for the wages to be able to um, meet what housing looks like, because that's a challenge. And we've kind of talked about that on a on a previous episode. But that's a that's a challenge. And you know, as I think about the north side of town. Um, been very few organizations that even thought about coming and setting up shop in that area and providing jobs. Uh, and so that whole new phase of what this should look like has to include that as well because I know we'd like to be able to keep a lot of our assets, meaning our intelligent people once they graduate from college, we'd love to be able to keep them in Wilmington to continue to build. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes – the future can be right in front of you and it'd be hard to see, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've got some friends who, who build houses and they talk about the difficulty in they that they're having in getting folks who are qualified to do mm-hmm. that work. Mm-hmm. And 
that's opportunity, right? And people think, well, that's hard work or that's all work is hard work to a certain extent. But when you have a situation where you have scarcity of technical ability, mm-hmm. whether you talk about anything in, in, in housing, it's, you know, it's frame carpenters, it's plumbers, it's electricians, it's roofers, you know, it's welders and mm-hmm. there's a scarcity of these skill sets and those jobs can be very lucrative. And mm-hmm. for the person who's actually the entrepreneur of a business like that, e- even more so. And so I can definitely see tons of opportunities around that. And I'm always just wondering, like, as we do these things, and I really think they're going to happen. I, I believe that deeply, that that we are so close to the cusp of change that a couple little pushes in the right direction, and there's just going to be an avalanche of progress in our community. Who's going to be writing it down? Yeah. Because this is a story that needs to be told, right, because it can be replicated. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as I think about what you were talking about, those skills that are needed, uh, I thought about my mother telling me that she graduated from Williston Industrial Senior High School. And it was a part of the school system that people learned these trades, right? Carpentry and plumbing and electrician. And I'm asking myself, now that's been kind of taken away from the New Hanover County school system and it's down at Cape Fear Community College. And some people just don't see that that whole thought process of having to go to a community college. They, it just doesn't agree with them. So the question is, how can we get that back into the school system? Or what system can we create where we can get young kids, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, engaged in learning those kinds of skills? I remember when I was in the 5th or the 6th grade, there still was a shop over at Williston. And during the summertime, we would go to the shop. And I remember because I was a big sports fan, the first thing I wanted to do was make a baseball bat. And that's exactly what I did with the lathe, right? So that's I, I'm I'm assuming that 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 excitement about learning how to work with the hand still exists. It's just people don't see it as being accessible. How can we give everyone access to that? And maybe that's a possibility we need to reconsider because it's worked in the past. Yeah, I mean, you know, and like you said, maybe it's not the school system. Maybe it's something else. Yeah. Um, and that's where we have to challenge ourselves, right, to eliminate the rules that we've been playing under that that's it right. has to be this that's or right. it has to that's be right. that. That's right. Because that's the right. opportunities are so – I mean, not only are there wide-open opportunities, but it's need-based, right? Like, you know, we are all going to need those type of professionals to – do things that are just a part of basic life in any community. And wouldn't it be great if we could create upward opportunities based on that skill set? If you go back in the history of Wilmington, if you go back into the pre-1898 history, Mm -hmm. there was some, some pretty miraculous business outcomes in the black communities based on tradesmanship yep absolutely great deal of the skills i mean you know going from being enslaved from the people who did all the work pretty much from being enslaved to those with the greatest skills and so a lot of building happened 
And as a result of that, you know, some people became jealous and they did what they did. And um, that's kind of gotten away from us. But we need to get back to those skills that are needed on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I think, you know, again, that's just another area where the opportunities to do something transformational exist almost hiding in plain sight, right? Yeah. yeah, Hiding in plain sight. How many other opportunities might be hiding in plain sight? I'm sure there are tons of ideas out there that are hiding in plain sight that people just need to kind of, um, I, I think I've heard you say, suspend judgment, right? And look at look at things with, with a new set of eyes, right? Uh, again, so it goes back to examining mental models of how we see the world and what could the world look like if we saw it differently. I think that all plays a part in that. And really understanding the need yes. takes listening, yes. right? It just takes listening. We, as sad as it is, you know, you and I <laughs> getting a little bit of a little bit of snow on the roof, and we have fixed thoughts for sure. Mm-hmm. It's the human condition. I don't want to come across as critical of of having blinders on per se, as a mm-hmm. condition of life, that's what happens to us. The challenge is just realize you got them on yeah. and that you need help and that maybe you can engage folks differently, folks that are different from you, folks that are different age, folks that are different background of all types. Mm-hmm. And then let's, let's really, that's a real needs assessment, right? When we talk yes. about the collective needs. Yes, yes, that, that is a real needs assessment. And what you find out is... The differences that you have with others, when you have those conversations, you find out you probably have more in common because we all have the same needs. We may do it at different levels, but we all have the same needs. And these perceptions that we need to eradicate or change so that we can see what the real possibilities are from human being to human being. Yeah, it reminds me of of uh, high school in a way, right? And you you know you you're still you're not totally at the sponge level at at that anymore, right? You you're starting to see some different things and have viewpoints, but you're open enough that if something really pops up in front of you, you can typically see it, mm-hmm. you know. And if we could just even get there, yeah, right, yeah, that would be great. That really would be would would really be great. Uh, change leadership, man. That's what that's what we need. We need more of that. We need less of the management, as you said. Not that we don't need management. We need management once we get the change leadership to running, right? You still got to manage the processes. Right? You still got to manage the vision, right? But change leadership, which is proactive. Again, it's the engine that drives everything versus being the caboose. Yeah, I believe in that so much, and I, you know, to me. It is that that future-based language. Mm-hmm. Like we really need to challenge ourselves because we are creating the future in the moment now, right? You and I are creating a future right now. We're right. we're putting out some possibilities, and sooner or later, some folks are going to listen to that, and maybe something will take hold, right? Maybe it'll be that there's a different conversation in a community, yeah, right? right? Or there's a a different conversation across communities in ways that haven't been happening as commonly now. And those things 
could take us somewhere. Yeah, they really could because all it takes is a spark, right? The spark of somebody to hear something just a little bit different than what we, when what we've said. And that spark of once they hear it different, they begin to see it a little bit differently. And all of a sudden they begin to act on it and they begin to share with others what their vision is and others begin to buy into that vision. And all of a sudden we see something new and we see something different and we see something that's becoming uh, a leader in whatever it is doing. And it happens through people. Curious conversations. Yes. Humility vulnerability acknowledging that we don't always have the answers or maybe that we rarely have the complete answer right and there's such a huge difference people get hung up i think a lot of leaders i've seen i've fallen into the trap myself feel like you gotta have the answer and that's just so not it you know the truth of it is the answer is always there with the people the leader's job is actually to help it emerge in its most viable form. And they're just example after example of how that's been transformational across the world. Um, and, and we can learn from that. You know, you just said you don't always have to have the answer because the answer is basically going to be with the people. And another thing is you, has to, you have to ask for help because all of us, regardless of who we are, need a little bit of help and it's in the people and we have to empower the people and believe in the people and let the people do what they do as it relates to transformation yeah that's my one of my favorite things to do now once i you know once i realized some time ago the whole thing about the answer because you know most of my career i spent as a surgeon and in that case actually you got to have some answers. I mean, that's the expectation of that career is that you bring solutions to people with problems mm -hmm. and then you get them to agree to a plan and then you execute it together, right? right. So having the answer um, is really important. Right. But once I realized about the difference in, in really leading people versus executing you know a surgical skill my favorite thing is reality check yeah i mean right. i call you all the time and say terry I, I, this might not make any sense i'm just going <laughs> to right. reality check it with you right, right. like am right. i in some parallel thought process that is right. way off base or is there some viable kernel of this or how do we take the idea forward and you know, what am I missing or who else could we engage in this? And mm -hmm. to me, that reality check and peace is huge. Yes, it is. And, you know, it takes me, and, and this is a little plug, but it takes me to the first book that I published around transformational thinking. You know, isn't it time that we use transformational thinking? Because it's really synonymous to change leadership, right? It's really taking the engine and moving forward and not looking back, but creating something that never existed before. It's like, I always like to use the analogy of the caterpillar to the butterfly. The butterfly never becomes a caterpillar again. It's a new entity. And that's what change leadership is really about. It really is about that. And that's a great little book too, by the way. Thank you for oh, putting that you. out in circulation. <laughs> I've read it several times. <laughs> thank you, even thank you, recently. thank you, thank you. You know, it just, uh, it's amazing how things sort of hit you in a certain way. And sometimes 
the role of a leader is just to to change the orbit of the thinking just mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. and and a lot of times leadership done right people think they did it themselves that's right because really they did that's right right that's they right. just needed right. a little bit of help that's here right. and there that's right. and uh that that humility piece that sense of service to actually do that and not have to take credit for it is a real important component too you think about dr king in the civil rights movement he just happened to be the one right that people paid attention to but it took a lot of other people behind him to make that work to make that happen the organization you know you look at the bus boycott and how many people for one year no one got on the bus got on the bus right and so one person and all it takes is a few people to start a movement and a few people can move the masses if, in fact, the vision is, because he had that vision, and uh, he was able to bring some of it to fruition. I think of it a lot of times in the organizational context when you talk about guiding coalitions and and what it really takes for it to catch on. I mean, you got to think, at minimum, you got to kind of start at 10%, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. as a... Mm-hmm. Because in a larger, I mean, this is not a five-person organization, but in a in a sizable organization, because there often are so many silos, right? You've mm-hmm. got to get the message mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. everything to really create that movement. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. The key word is it is a movement, right? And a movement is totally different because it's not static. It's continuing to move. And with change... You know, people become static. You know, we did this before. We're going to do this a little bit more. But the mindset is different when you hear, you know, movement. It's much different. Uh, People act differently when you understand that it's a movement. They're more willing to cross obstacles because they know it's a movement, right? They know that some change initiative is going to have a beginning and an end. At some point in time, it's going to end. But when we're talking about movement, we're talking about a journey, right? And so that journey is never ending into becoming the best organization or the best individual that I need to become in order to uh, make sure that transformation occurs. And that lit change leadership science around that, one of the most common things, and it goes back to John Cotter, who's mm-hmm. made a career off leadership of how you do it, you know, is just frequently undercommunicated by a factor of 10. How mm-hmm. often do we see that? And when change doesn't stick, a lot of times it's because that communication, that evangelism, if you will, hasn't been carried out long enough, right? That's because right. if you're if you're part of that leadership, maybe you're part of that ten percent of an organization. Even once you're kind of tired of talking about it, mm-hmm. that message is not all the way out yet. That's right. I mean, you have to continue to go back to the fundamentals, help make sure that you're connecting people to not only, not only what we're trying to do that's great as an organization or as a team, Mm -hmm. but what you can do to be a part of it, right? right. And it's that almost as if, you know, giving an individual a vision of their piece of it, right? And it's really just an invitation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saying, this is spectacular, you can be a part of it. That's if right. it, it might look like this, if you're interested. That's right. And we both heard the story about Alan Mulally, who was a former CEO of Ford. He went there uh, in 2008. He was there from 2008 to 2014. And that story goes something like, uh, 
he pro he prohibited cell phones from being in the executive meetings, and there were two execs there who were uh, had been at Ford for quite some time, and Allen was new there, and they decided that they didn't like that idea. So they gave Bill Ford, who was the chairman of the board, a call and said, "Hey, this is childish. We'd love to be. We want to still take our our cell phones in to the meetings." And so by the time that they got back downstairs to see Allen, Bill had already informed Allen of what happened. And Allen said, hey, I understand that you have a concern with bringing cell phones into the, the meeting. I understand your concern, and you have the right to do so, but you just don't have the right to do so here at Ford Motor Company any longer because this is the direction that we're going, and it's obvious you don't want to follow that direction. So I suggest that you find you know, employment elsewhere, and you can use me as a reference if you, if you, if you like. I still love you, but here's where we're headed. You're not headed in that, that direction, so we no longer need your services. Yep, that's, uh, you know, sometimes the bus does pull away from the curb. <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> fact, it has to. And, I you know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, you teach lessons, and, and I remember Dean Smith was a stickler for being on the bus early, mm -hmm. right? And there are notable times where that bus pulled off with one of those star players walking up to it, and they might get to the game, but they didn't start that night. That's right. Right? That's right. They still loved them. They still got to start again when it was time. That's right. But that standard ultimately was something everyone was subject to the same standard. They had to play by it. And if they didn't, there was a consequence. That's right. That's right. It's, it's like a story I heard about Bill Walton playing at UCLA and wanting to grow a beard. And John Wooden said, yeah, you can grow a beard, but you won't be able to play he here at UCLA. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's the standard. The standard is a standard, as Mike Tomlin likes to say. And that's what change leadership really is about, right? I, you know, we're going to create this standard that's different from standards that have been here before, and we're going to succeed. And you look at UCLA as a program, you look at UNC Chapel Hill as a program, and you look at how Ford performed as an organization from 08 to 14, and it was obvious that those standards drove success. Yeah, and, you know, and Krzyzewski's got a great book about that, the gold standard mm -hmm. from the Redeem team. And – they co-created the standards that they held one another to, mm. right? Mm. Like, mm. and that process of co-creation gave them such fantastic buy-in mm -hmm. that I mean, the the results are clear. You know, with their their performance in 2012 with the mm -hmm. gold medal and the mm -hmm. return to mm -hmm. to international prominence speaks for itself, yep. right? Yep. And and so it is that, right? They're those standards can be a co-creation process. It comes with being in tune with the, with the heartbeat of the organization. Sometimes what those standards can be. So right. you know, it's, it doesn't have to be way different than a rule, right? That's right. Rules That's right. are That's different right. than standards. Standards right. are how we hold each other accountable. That's yeah. it. That's it. That self-accountability. It can't be beat. Yep. That, yep, and that's what they created in all of those in, in that Shashevsky, uh Olympic team in 2012. Yep. Well, man, I've enjoyed today's episode, Change Leadership. I'm, I'm fired up that there's going to be meaningful change here. I know you and I are going to be neck deep in it right yes. here at home. And for folks that want to catch up with us and see what we're doing in other places or here at home, 
You can catch us at unlikelyintersection.com or you can catch me uh, on LinkedIn at Doc Phillip Brown. Or- and you can catch me at, on LinkedIn, uh, Terry Jackson, PhD. And not only is it important for us to be change leaders, it's also important for us to create other change leaders as we lead. The real role of the leader. Yeah, we'll see absolutely. you at the next Unlikely Intersection. Absolutely.